all the devices you can do when you're recruiting to find above average talent may or may not result in you actually hiring an above average, you know, talented person. So therefore build a system that an average person can operate and thrive in. We are Michael Vesey in London, England. Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. Let's jump in. Smart e-commerce operators know that net profit is the lifeblood of a business, but at a small and profitable business than a large one which earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook by Jason Miles gives you 17 specific proven profit-taking actions. For a limited time, we are sharing this valuable resource with our listeners completely free. Download your 60-page workbook and start making your business more profitable today. Just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. That's theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. People are one of the, okay, I'll try that again. (laughs) Take two, take two, take two, take two. People are one of the largest expenses in a business, but they're also one of the most tricky parts of a business to manage. Oftentimes entrepreneurs fall into the trap of simply saying, ah, I'm going to do it all myself. Sometimes that works, but sometimes it radically limits your business's potential. And in this episode, we're going to discuss this whole idea of human deficiency syndrome, phrase I just coined. And we're going to figure out how to encourage you along the way with eight tips for overcoming this type of problem. Michael, are you ready to jump into this? Yeah, I like this. <laughs> I like the syndrome. Like, gets my attention. That's kind of entertaining. Human deficiency syndrome. There you yeah, go. Yeah, I like this. So what, what do you mean? There's an odd phrase. What do you... Why have you chosen that particular phrase? Well, it's a phrase that harkens back to, I know it's sort of a funny reference, but actually not funny at all. There was a time when I was doing a lot of charity work in Africa related to HIV AIDS. And before HIV AIDS was actually phrased that, uh, people in Africa would call it the wasting disease and uh, people would just become emaciated and then die. And they didn't know what was happening. And, uh, you know, this is real early in the in the you know story of HIV AIDS and but these people if they got on the, the right medication would make this amazing they call it the Lazarus effect amazing bounce back and uh, once the antiretrovirals started to be introduced and so so anyway so so it's sort of an odd reference but I think a lot of businesses can go through this situation where it's a good business you know like it, it's a vibrant business maybe it's got a great product or that kind of thing. But the people in it are just completely and totally wasting away or non-existent. I mean, just literally like, you know, not thriving at all. And as business owners, that's ours to figure out, you know, it's, it's our thing to sort out and ask ourselves the question, are, are we creating a context in which the people in our business are thriving? Are we finding them? Are we adding them? Are they thriving or is this a problem? And so I guess that's sort of what was my, my thought process as I was thinking about this whole idea of businesses challenged by finding and retaining and thriving, having people thrive. If that's a thriving people, I guess, if use it as a that's verb good. or something. 
there you go. Right, thriving is good. <laughs> Send an answer there. That's an American disease. Don't do that. Thriving <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> is a perfectly happy <laughs> adjective. <laughs> so what this makes me think of, kind of throwing a spanner in the works, but hopefully not, not, you know, if we think about it in the broader sense. Seth Godin, there was a, a podcast I listened to again the other day talking about the difference between a freelance and entrepreneur. And I think it's mm. really, really critical to be clear about which you are. Huh? Yeah. And which you aspire to be. For example, I had a client who built a business to a mere, mere sort of early seven figures revenue, but he sold it for seven figures because it was incredibly profitable. Plus, he exited at the right exact time when aggregators were buying any Amazon business with a pulse, it seemed. And it was very profitable. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, it was a desirable business in any era. But he was not really a team builder. He tried adding yeah. a, a VA at one point and it didn't really wasn't his thing. And so he was a solopreneur. He was smart enough to recognize that and hold it on to somebody else who was going to grow a, a team around it. So I think it's interesting that some of us, you know, need to get better at this. And that's what we're talking about. Some of us, you know, maybe need to recognize that that's not a strength yeah. and you no, know, that's an interesting well, different situation, right? So. Yeah. But I would, I would counter your counter, your span in the, span okay. in the works that any endeavor that you do online, whether you want to be a solopreneur or not is going to be radically difficult to do a hundred percent by yourself. So just for example, I mean, let's just say you want to be a ghost writer, you know, and all you want to do is, you know, be a ghost writer for people. Well, where are you going to get your leads and who's going to print your card and who's going to do your taxes? And, you know, there's so many services that are really bolted onto a business, even at the smallest level that enable it to thrive, that I would just argue that even if you want to be a solopreneur, you got to get good at working with people and finding people, even if they're just service providers to you and they're not W-2 employees, as we'd phrase it in the U.S. So, so I take your point. There are certainly people who want to build a big business and certainly people who deliberately don't want to build a big business, but all of us have to get good at finding and working with people who enable our success, I guess you could say. Really? Well, look, I've tried to right? wiggle out of getting good at, it seems absolutely right. I think you, I've tried to wiggle out of having to develop the skill set and, and discovered that I cannot get away from human deficiency oh. syndrome. We all need people. You're quite right. So we're going to have to deal with this. So what, what are your ideas for overcoming <laughs> this? Obviously resistance and me to some degree and some of the people I work with even more, I've got to say, but well, well how do we, explore that how do we get this? Wait, 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 we got yeah, yeah, to yeah. pause and. Not to armchair psychoanalyze you or anything, but why, why does this put, put up a little bit of a defensiveness in your heart or mind as we talk about the topic? It's not so much defensiveness. It, it's, it's the fact that as an agency owner came on the podcast recently, Jeff Sauer, he's a really smart guy. He built an agency to eight figures and sold it. And he said, the thing about an agency that's hard compared to scaling a products business is this, that the more you scale products, the better they tend to get because you know, you have your first batch from the factory or if it's handmade, whatever the production process is, they're going to be some flaws, you know, maybe in, you know, in the case of, um, your know, Paul Weiss cinnamon, you know, exhaustion, the wonderful quality product, but, but exhausted workers, sometimes it's the other way around. The quality is terrible and you have to go back and the second, third version is better. But by the time you've done 10,000 unit, it's normally pretty slick, right? With people, he yeah. said, the trouble is it's not like that at all. The more you try higher, you're, you're competing with a lot of similar people competing for the same talent pool mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. doesn't get better for the 10,000 employees likely to be a lot worse than the first one. And so, yeah, I guess that's one of the reasons for resistance. And one of the reasons to your point, where is a bit of a human 
growth efficiency in many businesses because it's kind of hard. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's completely right. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons in our minds as we think through this as to why we would say, meh, not so much, don't want to go here. Um, that That is a perfectly interesting description. The other reality is the bigger your team gets, the more complicated it gets to manage. And just a law of statistics, like probability, if you hire 10 people, how many of them are going to be problems for you? And how many of them are going to be problem solvers? Well, you might get a couple problem solvers and you might get, you know, three or four or five problems. And so there's, yeah. you know, that's the downside too. So there you have it. Um, yeah. I guess it comes to what you're drawn to, doesn't it? I mean, obviously you've got a, a giant background in HR in your, you know, former corporate yeah. days when you worked for, I think a billion dollar charity, right? It's a pretty huge outfit. Mm -hmm. So I guess you're probably more drawn to solving these kinds of problems than, than the rest of us. Perhaps me. That's funny yeah. talking about this. I'm like, yeah, there's more resistance here than I'd expect on this topic. Obviously, I'm <laughs> struggling with this. So, so what, what are our solutions? You've got, you got a few solutions here. So what's, what's the first thing that we need to do to turn this around a bit? Yeah, it actually fits nicely with what we were just talking about. The first solution, I think, is to envision a positive you know, outcome for a team-based approach to your business. Or I guess say in another way, envision a team running your business successfully. That's the first, I think, and most important thing to really ponder, like, wh what is it you're building? I mean, you know, it's, you know, classic advice, like, um, I think, well, it, it was even Jesus, I think before someone builds a tower, they need to take account or whatever, you know? So that's just classic. You want to envision what your architecture looks like for a team before you, you know, jump into it. Many times we don't do that. Of course, as entrepreneurs, we're just overwhelmed. We're just like, you know, we're. We're underwater mentally, emotionally, and in every way. And we're just grasping for, you know, a life preserver. And we find the first person we can, you know, add into the company and like throw some stuff at them. Like, yeah, you, you do this because I think it'll help me, you know, but that's not the way to engineer a business. I mean, that's not, you know, it's human capital involved. The, the way to really do it is to sit down and say, what was a ideal team look like in terms of the duties and functions? And, you know, what am I good at personally? What do I hate? And how do I build a team that is a lean, mean fighting machine that helps us win as a group? And I think that that envisioning process is it's really important. And maybe even if we're up and going every year, we should sit back and take a day off and say, what, what is the ideal team for this next phase of her growth? You know, I like that a lot. I mean, I think I wish I were more like that when I started out being a team manager or, or a hirer. I'm discouraged through the school of hard knocks, the truth that I read in several business books a few years ago, which is like, have clearly defined roles and don't mush all the tasks into one role. Turns out those mm -hmm. guys were absolutely correct. And I'm gradually changing the role of the people I work with now. For example, the poor podcast editor, Von, who would probably be editing this, is now the podcast content manager, but I'm taking away things like the executive mm -hmm. assistant, personal assistant type things like email triage, because you're somehow struggling mm -hmm. to get it in. And I, I look at the amount of stuff he's got to do. I'm like, you know, it's not in the same skill set. And the, the acid test for me was simple. Some stuff he reliably delivered and that made sense. And I was very happy and some, some stuff just wasn't happening. And I dug into it and I think I was just overwhelming him with too much stuff, but also it wasn't feeding back into the same skill set. It wasn't enabling him even. It was a different skill set, mm -hmm. like sending an email to a guest to say, Hey, your content's live. People help us promote that at least links into the guests whose name he saw on 
our schedule and whose content he's edited, there's, there's a sort of unity to his work yeah. now. So we've stripped away literally a couple of days ago. I had a, a meeting, said, why isn't this working? And he said, overwhelmed. I said, okay, let's strip the role down. So I've officially relinquished my expectation that he will do certain things that he wasn't doing anyway, but was I was getting annoyed about. So there you go. I think uh, I've kind yeah. of done it through the school of stupidity, the same thing, which is like getting some unity to the, the whole thing. Yeah, I think it's one of those examples where it's like, if you don't build this right before, you will be building it right in, while the ship is on the water or the train's yes. rolling down the tracks. I mean, you, you know, through, to your phrase, the school, of, the school of hard knocks version of building your team. Yeah. Well, one yeah. way or the other, or you'll fail or, you know, or, you know, people yeah. will quit and, you know, people vote with their feet. People get too frustrated, mm. they leave. And if you get too frustrated, you, you know, kind of blow your stack and fire people or you know, want to, want to quit yourself, which is hard to do when it's your yes. business, you know? So, yeah. So, but I think this whole idea of taking a step back, taking a minute, envisioning something really, really well-organized and, you, you know, doodling it out on paper, mm. what roles do you need? What, what roles would be services that could be provided by agencies? What roles would need to be full-time team members? What yeah. role could be part-time? international, you know, VA type roles, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, all of that goes into it and you can build a really, really well thought out team. Yeah. I think my final point to that is, I can't think what I was going to say. We'll just edit that out. Vaughn, your first job of editing. <laughs> so talking of, <laughs> talking of starting underwater, that really leads me to the second thing, which is a lot of us reach out when we need somebody and do it in rather a hurry. And I've certainly been that mm -hmm. person in the past. But I guess that's not the ideal way to do it, is it? So I think that leads into your second point here. Yeah, the second suggestion is to upgrade your recruiting process so that you can operate like a professional. And, you know, a, a lot of us um, don't do that. I'm guilty of that myself. A lot of us are guilty of that as entrepreneurs. It's kind of just like, who do you know? You know, who's your friend's brother-in-law, you know, son? or whatever your you know, the neighbor kid or wh whoever is like, oh yeah, this, this would work. And, and there's a time for that. You know, there, there's certainly a time for that in business growth and, and certainly for certain types of roles, there's always a time for adding people who are just good, good folks, you know, who can come in and start to do, you know, kind of entry level roles, but the, you know, but the more refined skills that you need, the better you need to get a, a professional approach to recruiting. And that would look like having a job that's written down on paper, you know, have the actual job description and actually having it posted somewhere and actually going through a recruiting process where you have two or three or four candidates that are really good that you can interview and then choose, you know, the best that, you know, th this isn't rocket science. Everybody knows that's what you do if you're doing it professionally, but the, the gap between what we know is professional and what we actually do is sometimes very, very different. And so, you know, I think that it's on us as business owners to say, okay, my didn't do is like a professional uh, and I'm going to really take it seriously or, or am I going to just meet a guy at Burger King and ask him if he wants to start working, you know, for me or whatever. Yeah. So. Veteran e-commerce operators know that net profit is the vital lifeblood of a business. Better a small and profitable business than a large one that earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook is designed to give you 17 actionable, specific and proven profit-taking actions. You can implement them at your own pace and let the power of this trusted framework revolutionize your company. 
The Profit Habits Workbook makes profit improvement a fast and efficient achievement. For a limited time, we are now sharing this resource with our listeners completely free with no strings attached. To download your 60-page workbook and begin your journey to a more profitable business today, just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. Burger King, I like that. Yeah, I'm not going to create many VA relationships at Burger King in London, I think, but I like the thing. Okay. One, one thing that strikes me, one reason why I think, and to be fair to myself and everyone else that I've met, I'm not the only person on the planet to do this, that we stuff all possible tasks into one role. Is because mm-hmm. we've missed an interim step, which I think is before we create mm-hmm. an individual role, as you say, we want to map things out. Then we need to map out not the huge future of the entire business necessarily, because that's maybe a bit overwhelming, but um, at least what are the functions of a business? So if you look at mm-hmm. the business departments for a big company, it would have an HR department. Well, that's probably not necessary when you've got a few people, but it will have an accounting and finance department. That's very necessary. As you say, you may outsource that, but you still need to know who you're hiring and you may have choices of good, bad, and terrible accountants for that. So mm-hmm. as you said, mm-hmm. we can't get away with that. That you're going to have a marketing department that's critical for those of us in internet marketing. That's a safety zone, isn't it? And you've got to have a product development side. That's probably you wearing all of these hearts. But the point is, once you map that out and then you look at the roles within that, first of all, you realize why you're exhausted, why you've been working 80 hour weeks. To your point, you do need the team. But then also you can start to create a role that isn't going to exhaust somebody else. Because you're not yeah. just recreating your yeah. nightmare life. <laughs> right. So I think one one prelude that I've seen that my clients do recently, which is helpful, is mapping out whole business structure in a basic way on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. It can be, and then within that, having a role, and only then put in the tasks in the role because you're not trying to stuff a court into a pint pot, as we right. say. In the- yeah, and that gets kind of to the third idea here, which is take each individual role and really simplify it as much as possible and have it be focused. You just described that as you were, you know, we're talking about Vaughn, our awesome podcast editor. So, so that idea of having one singular role for each person, I, that's the ideal. Yeah. And, you know, because, um, it just makes life simpler in terms of training, orienting new people in terms of monitoring outcomes and expectations. You know, if you've got 10 different people on your team and all of them kind of sort of do similar things. When something doesn't get done, it's like, well, who's responsible for this? Well, sort of everybody. Well, who didn't do it? Well, sort of everybody. Well, who's supposed to do it? Well, sort of everybody. But that's not a way to get clear on who's going to do it tomorrow, you know? And so having a very, very focused structure where you say, hey, so-and-so is our accountant or, you know, so-and-so is our social media person. That's just good, you know. I guess what you would say, good fences make good neighbors. And that's true inside of a business too. Agree with that a lot. Just again, referencing the conversation with Jeff Sauer, whose big thing now is now he sold his agency is to try and help, I guess, basically entrepreneurs, but managed by numbers. And the irony of that is he's a data driven kind of guy. He was in, you know, Google ads and that sort of thing before, but he's come to the conclusion that you really, unless you're already quite a big business, need to simplify the number of KPIs right down as well. So really per role his rule of thumb now is one kpi per role one number sure. yeah and you know maybe two or three if you're really pushing it and from experience again i would say that's probably true i mean you know for for von as the podcast manager it's like okay have you published the number of podcasts this week that i expect to see based on our schedule is the quality up to up to scratch have you included the elements so it's almost more qualitative but there are little tick boxes we can mm-hmm. give and yeah it's pretty simple and, and once i've stripped the role down as we just have to 
content creation and then content promotion, then maybe I'd expect to see a handful of, of social media posts. But I did say even that could be seen as not yeah. necessarily a key part of the role. So we may dispose of that. It's too complicated. Now, here's so the it's tricky stripping part. down, as you say. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here's the tricky part of this one. You have to also treat yourself in the same manner. And that means you define your role and you don't get to do everything. And you actually, you, because we can be our worst enemy in that regard, where we think because it's our business, we actually technically can do any job. And that can be very frustrating for team members. If you're the boss and you do something, but your team member is hired to do that, you're really, really sending a horrible social signal, which is first of all, they're not needed. Second of all, you think you can do it better than them. You know, third of all, maybe did you not trust them to do it? You know, it's like really, really bad performance idea to allow ourselves to have free range as the owners of a business to do anything. And you learn that over time as people get mad at you and quit. You put yeah, frustrated, <laughs> you know, so yeah. I have to say that's interesting. There are certain times where I plunge in and do things myself. And that reminds me of my mum, who was not the greatest manager. She had many virtues as a, a teacher and as a mum, but you know, management was probably not her bag. And I remember saying, oh, for goodness sake, let me do it myself. And I remember thinking at the time I was 12, I, I was possibly wise enough to keep my mouth shut, but you're not going to induce a 12 year old to get cooking, washing up, whatever it was I wasn't doing by saying, get out of the way, it's rubbish, I'll do it myself. And so I've done that. I notice I have a tendency there, but I also reasonably disciplined at saying, I'm not happy with this, redo it, I'll check it tomorrow. And therefore, well, I may not be being nice, but I'm saying in the boss role, that's the person who defines the tasks and then checks that they're being done to an adequate yeah. level. And bouncing it back to the person that do the actual job, even though it would be quicker, in many cases for me to just get in there and, and re-edit a podcast or something, for example, that came up a couple of days ago. There was nothing terrible. I just thought, hmm, he's missed a couple of things. But yeah, as you say, then that, that's really the best thing to avoid <laughs> because it, as you say, it sends terrible signals. Even worse, it means you get drawn back into doing everything and then you'll end up going mad and that kind of defeats the purpose in the first place, doesn't it? Totally does, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. Yeah. So, that's so let's move idea. on to the, the fourth of your ways to, to move through this stuff. Yeah. Fourth idea is you want to believe the best about people and give people a fighting chance to win your trust and respect and your long-term you know, employment relationship. Sometimes, sometimes it takes time to get people settled into the right niche or area of, of effort and activity. Sometimes it's not immediately clear. Sometimes it, it doesn't fit right in the first go round of a role or responsibility. And, and I think that we sometimes can be too quick to say, you know, this is just not working. I'm done with this. And we, if we do that, if we, if we, you know, if we do that, we're being short-sighted because that, that idea of having one person for one role, and if they don't fit in it, we, you know, we dismiss them that I think it, it can be short-sighted because if we've done a good job recruiting and we found somebody we really like, and we really feel like is it could be a good team member, then, then it, you know, it's, it's, it behooves us to find the right fit for them over time. And when we can do that, then they'll flourish. Yeah. And it's almost like, well, you know, what part of the garden is someone planted in? And sometimes we plant them in the wrong spot and it's us up to us to be a good steward 
of, you know, their talents and skills and say, Hey, you know, there's another place where you might flourish. And, you know, as a, in my olden job days, job as a human resources generalist and then VP of, of human resources, I, I used to encounter these cases where there would be people who were exceptionally skilled, but they're, you know, maybe they didn't get along with their boss or their boss just didn't see the value in them or whatever, but their team loved them or, you know, maybe their team hated them, but their boss loved them because they had a skill set, you know? And so then they were as better positioned as a solo, you know, duty or role, not so much of being a part of a team. Or maybe the team just wasn't the right team for them, but they had great skill sets and they were unhappy. And there's a lot of scenarios in which things cannot fit, but it's up to us at the big boss to figure out, okay, how, how do we make this seem like, like a perfect, you know, opportunity for the person and a good win for the business as well. And, and that can be hard work sometimes and can take time. Yeah, it's interesting. A couple of reflections. I mean, first of all, the sort of theory, if you like business theory, Jim Collins says, get the right people on the bus and then, you know, get them in the right seats. And if I'm not misquoting the great business thinker, I think it's in that order, isn't it? If I remember, mm -hmm. whichever yeah. is good to great one of the books. That's right. So that implies, you know, having taste in people and, and recognizing talent and, and work ethic and the basic qualities you'd want in good employees or, or staff, whatever their relationship is, is the primary thing. And then you have mm -hmm. to do exactly what you're saying, which is figure out where they belong. And the second thing that strikes me is just having the humility, certainly knowing that I'm not the greatest manager for, for sure. I don't come of great managerial stock. I come of teaching stock. So teaching's in my blood, management maybe less. And, and therefore to figure out that my first few hires, I'm probably going to get a bit wrong and to give myself and the hiree some time to see that if we can be sorted before we say yeah. goodbye. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in 20 years, highest time, you know, maybe I'm going to be more slick with it and I'll be able to read the future more accurately and go, this isn't going to work out. And I think that's yeah. okay if you have experience, but I don't have that experience yet. I mean, you may do with your HR background, I guess. Maybe, but maybe over time you just get better at realizing the process you're in. You know, maybe you just get clearer that like, okay, job one didn't work for this person. I'm going to try job two or, and then, you know, see if that works. And, and uh, I think what happens over time is you get better at, at your own mindset as it relates to these situations, because in the moment it can be insanely frustrating and you can, you know, your, your temper can get the best of you or your, your frustration. And, but I think the, I'm not sure anybody gets good at becoming a manager. I think you become aware that you're being a good manager or a bad manager. And, and I would also chalk myself up into that bucket of saying, I know I'm not a good manager frequently. But at least I understand where I'm at in the process of like, okay, what would it look like for me to be a good manager right now? And generally speaking, that's become clearer with your expectations, become better at loving accountability, but you know, the accountability that's done in grace, but clear clarity. And then also third, recognizing what is not working and dealing with it, not putting your head in the sand. And, and I think that's kind of what the more mature managers over time get good at is those steps, like where they're at in the process and picking a, picking a perfect, uh, you know, staff member. I'm not sure anybody gets perfect at it over time. I think you just do your best and you roll with the punches. And like Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And then it's kind of like, <laughs> what do you do next? You know? Well, that's kind of hopefully not literally punch. Yeah, in the face yeah, yeah. That would have gone down badly. I mean, I think yeah, yeah. some of my employees are probably quite grateful they're they're third of the world away in some cases. But yeah, yeah um, 
Yeah, I suppose the word humility still seems to apply. Yeah, recognize mm-hmm. self-awareness, as you mentioned. I think that I think really to put it in a nutshell, recognizing what's not working, having the courage yeah. to deal with it, but also recognizing if you're like me, a natural or irascible artistic type, I'm a perfectionist. I tend to get emotional, and, I, and my team knows this. I say to them, "Okay, you know, like this is always my first reaction, but let let's see if we can sort this out." And normally, I will find there are quite a lot. Shortcomings, shortcomings in the way I structure things and the way I communicated things. And that's good because I can change that. Some of the stuff is shortcomings mm-hmm. in my staff and I can either fire them or I can accept that and work within that. The latter being more of a learning path for me. I mean, if I just fire somebody, yes, I'll learn how to recruit more people, but it doesn't force me to confront, you know, the limitations and work around limitations of people, I guess. Yeah. And that's really my learning recently is a bit like, you know, I used when I used to teach a lot of kids in the piano, you know, they ain't going to recognize middle C quicker than they learn that they just, they're going to do the practice they practice. I can't control whether their parents make them mm-hmm. practice, but I can try to manage the situation in front of me. And that is within my power. And it turns out that if you accept a certain speed of learning or operation, mm-hmm. that can work as long as you know what to expect. If you expect this much work in this much time and they don't deliver, then you have to, one of those has got to adjust. <laughs> Mm-hmm. basically my expectation yeah uh, anyway right let's get on to the next one hey folks thank you for listening to another episode of the e-commerce leader today helping you overcome human deficiency syndrome as coined by jason a slightly alarming phrase but i guess which conjures up this wasting disease as he put it versus the thriving of a business that can overcome this if you insist on being the answer to all the problems in your business then you are the block to the business growing and the flip side of that is the business is going to make your to-do list expand to the point where you blow up and a lot of early stage entrepreneurs hit a wall and bounce there i've seen it myself i've been there myself and we have to overcome this we have to overcome this challenge basically we have no choice i tried to wiggle out of it at the beginning and jason was having none of it and he's right so here is some of the solutions, four of the solutions of the eight that Jason came up with. Number one is envision a positive outcome for a team-based approach to your business. In other words, believe that it's going to be a positive thing and you got to work towards that. Number two, upgrade your upgrade rather your number two, upgrade your recruiting process so you can professionally find and hire people. So vision isn't going to become reality without appropriately good processes behind it. Number three, simplify your roles to the simplest possible and the most focused tasks you can delegate. Task engineering, as Jason calls it. I cannot stress how true I found that even recently. Number four, believe the best about people and give people a fighting chance to win your trust, respect and long-term employment, which can take time sometimes. So uh, four of the eight excellent suggestions by Jason, indeed strategies, I would say. Two things, if you find this topic helpful, first of all, next uh, up is the next four of the eight um, strategies. So stay listening for the next episode in this series um, or the the second half of this interview, if you will. And then, of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and join many people, uh, especially especially on Spotify. We seem to be growing very quickly. And, uh, of course, Apple Podcasts, Google or Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts, don't forget to join us there as well. We're also on YouTube, but that's a bit messy. Um, it's sort of spread between Jason and my channel. So podcasts are the best place to get us. Thank you so much for listening and hope you can use the information we gave you today to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. Thank you.
That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England. Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. We offer you free help on our website, including PDFs, videos, and mini courses on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels. Some of Amazon most for any sales channel. Get those and to stay up to date with our podcast, go to www.theecommerceleader.com. Thanks for listening.